Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges and most importantly how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host Sandra Beck. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today doing one of my favorite things, which is an in-depth author interview. I love to get to know the authors that have written some of my favorite books. I love to talk to authors who have a successful track record to talk about how do they write and how do they get ideas. And, you know, for oh, those of you out there that are thinking that you might want to be a writer someday, or maybe you're in the process of writing your first book or you have your first book completed and you're looking for a representation or distribution. Today, you're going to want to stick around and listen to today's show. And this also kicks off our Motherhood Summer Romance Series month coming up in March. We like to feature romance writers and um, their books for great summer reads because one of the things I love to do is sit out in my pool, sometimes in my hot tub, with a little bit of shade and a good book or my Kindle. And yeah, I've gone through three of them because I've dropped them in the water and they really don't mix with the pool. But it's so much fun to be able to talk to the author of these books. And we're going to have a whole hour today with Diane Mills. And she is a best-selling author. Her titles have appeared on the CBA and the ECPA bestsellers list. She's run two Christie Awards. She's been a finalist for the Rita. Anybody who knows uh, anything about romance, that's a you know just a great, great honor. The Dauphin Inspirational Reader's Choice, the Carol Award Contest. She has gotten from the Library Journal. They presented her with the Best Books 2014. Um, and then here's the cool thing about Diane. She's not just an author. She's a founding board member of the American Christian Fiction Writers. She's a member of the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, the International Thriller Writers, and my favorite part, because I was a member of Romance Writers of America for almost 10 years in my 20s, the Faith, Hope, and Love chapter of RWA. Uh, Diane, I'm so excited to have you with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Can you believe you've done all that stuff? When you hear your biography, don't you just go, oh my goodness, that can't be me. Yes, I do that. That cannot possibly be me. It has to be somebody else. For sure. (laughs) For sure. Now, so did you grow up wanting to be a writer? Were you educated in writing? Was this your passion and it took you a lifetime to achieve it? Or what's your what's your story? I always wanted to write. I dreamed about writing, but I was a closet writer, um, which means I would write something and I would either get rid of it or hide it somewhere. And uh, it wasn't until... Uh, 96, and my husband said to me, stop telling me someday you're going to write a book. Just just do it. Quit your job. I'll give you a year to get um, anything published. And I'm a bit stubborn. And I said, okay, I will. 
And so that started it. My first book came out in 98. And as of March the 1st, I'll be turning in number 68, come to think of it. 68 published books. That is outstanding. Uh, Just outstanding. Now, some of those are novellas, which, you know, are only 20,000 words or so. Uh, But it also goes to show you that Diane lives in a fiction world, which means I can often write my, well, I do, I can write my own endings. So when life is just dealing you a mess, you just write a book in which you can end it just the way you want. Isn't that amazing? You know, one of the things, Diane, that I've always loved about, especially romance writing, or I like chiclet fiction too, uh, to write on my end, is that I have I went through a very very difficult public divorce it was humiliating and I had little kids and it was so awful and I didn't have the patience to escape into somebody else's fantasy because I have to read a lot for my work so it wasn't relaxing for me but what I found very very relaxing and cathartic was writing my stories Diane you know in the evenings or in the afternoons or early in the morning you know around my work and my kids and I could escape into my own fantasy world and you know most people talk about it's great to escape into a good book but I think only writers know the secret of escaping into your own writing absolutely because it it draws out all the emotions that we're feeling at the current time and if we can put those raw edgy feelings into a character we can really produce some very excellent um, reading. And so it ends up being uh, therapeutic and um, the best that we have ever done. It's just, as a writer, do we have the guts to um, share those tr- that transparency with a reader? And so, I, you know, I, I look at writing as a passion, and I can't imagine doing anything else. But it's not easy, um, not just in learning all the techniques and the social media and the constant change, but what it does um, to our own psyche, our own mental ability to uh, experience uh, the good things and the things that are not so good in life, and then to be willing to put those into the lives of a character. Well, and that's the hardest thing for me is putting the ugly in the book. You know, the ugly is real. You know, we have ugly emotions. We have ugly feelings. And, you know, when I have to write an angry filled scene, it's really hard for me, Diane. I know a lot of people have trouble with, you know, with, with the depth that a character needs to have. And sometimes that is going to the unfortunate or, you know, not so pretty parts of ourselves. Um, but when you do that, it's very liberating. Oh, yes. It is. And there's also the uh, the question that I often receive from new writers, and that is, well, how can I put my own emotions, my own uh, ups and downs into the lives, uh, you know, of a character? And it's all about 
massaging uh, our own experiences into the words in the filtering system of our characters too. But oh, it's so worth it if we can allow ourselves to go through the process. Well, do you find sometimes that, like, there's times in my writing where I get confused, whether it's the character speaking or me, because we kind of become one. It's not all me, and it's not all them, but there's times you can get so dialed into a character that it just feels like you're expressing yourself. Uh, yeah, and and it's um, it's a it's a red flag for me because we we cannot not put something of ourselves into our characters. It's just impossible. But we can do our best to um, give them a a unique personality and particular traits that means, oh, you and I may slam doors when we're angry, but maybe this person um, jogs three miles, you know, that that kind of thing. but it is difficult when you're writing to be so into the story uh, that we want to put our own um, our own actions, our own reactions and behavior patterns into those characters. Now, I'm going to flip it around. We only have a couple minutes before break. What do you do when you get the runaway characters, the characters that just seem to want to run away, you know, like like you're trying to corral horses? Um, actually what I do is, um, I have four plot questions and we can get into that in the next set in the next segment, but I have four plot questions that I ask my characters before I write each scene. And it actually does help, uh, to keep us writers from taking off on a rabbit trail that doesn't take us anywhere. See, that's really important because, you know, I've I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of authors about how they write and, you know, the answers are as varied as the day is long, but I can't wait to find out, you know, your four four questions that you're going to ask your characters because I think, you know, inserting yourself or having runaway characters are two really common things that happen when people are early on in their writing career. Right. Absolutely. And... Uh, I've used these plot questions for years and taught them, and they work. They and work. So, so I'm going to take us to commercial break, uh, but before I do, I'd like to tell everybody where uh, your website, first of all, is Diane, and it's D-I-A-N-N-M-I-L-L-S. Sorry, two L's, Diane Mills, but remember, there's no E and two N's, and she has written um, a couple different series that are out, the Firewall, Double Cross, and Deadlock series. You can get these on Amazon. You can get them where books are sold, and then you have of a Texas Legacy series. Uh, the third one's coming up recently, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the Texas Legacy series uh, is um, is a collection that I uh, got the rights back, and I decided, hmm, I'm going to put them out myself. So uh, I did a soft edit and updated the writing, and they will be out as of March the 1st. That is outstanding. I love that you you really explore the full breadth of the publishing industry. You know, we'll talk about that later in the show. Um, I'm really excited, though, to come back and find out these four plot questions. And 
If you guys are out there and you're wondering if you can, you probably can. Give it a try. The only thing that gets in the way of a writer is when you don't write. And I had an interview um, a couple months ago with uh, Joel Fotinos, who's the president of Tarcher Penguin Perigee, and he had a great line. He said, Sandra, you can't fix what isn't written down, so you need to get writing Pull out your pen and paper, pull out your keyboard, and just start. When we come back from the break with Diane Mills, we're going to talk about her four plot questions that she asks. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Got my dreams, got my life, got my love. Got my friends, got the sunshine above. Why am I making this hard on myself when there's so many beautiful reasons I have to be happy? It's words you never heard. The letter F was salvaged from the linguistic scrap heap by the Romans. It has remained in use in the Roman alphabet ever since, and now accounts for 2.5% of any page of written English. So today, I thought I would give you some fantastic words that start with the letter F. False eloquence is an 18th century word for lying. Fanfarinade is a 17th century word for an arrogant boaster. While a flapdoodler is a 19th century slang word for a person who talks nonsense and rubbish. A Philly Lou is a noisy uproar. And my favorite F word ever, floxy noxy knee hilly pillyfication, which means worthless trivia. For more letter of the day words, download my free app at twofunnyforwords.com. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and this is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we are visiting today with Diane Mills. She's a very celebrated author. She's won lots of awards. She's won lots of books. And if you want to find out more about her, the spelling of her name is D-I-N-D-I-A-N-N, no E, uh, Mills, M-I-L-L-S. So you can go to DianeMills.com. You can go on Amazon and look her up or Barnes & Nobles or anywhere books are sold to find out more about her. 
And we're interviewing her today about her writing, how she writes, what she does. And her books are so great. And it's amazing to me when a celebrated author will share their secrets. And she promised in the opening segment that she would talk about the four plot questions that she asks or the four questions she asks her characters. Uh, do you do this uh, before you write? Do you do it while you're writing? You know, what is your... Um, you know, what is your procedure? I ask myself these four questions before I write the scene, but understand as a, as a writer that there may be things that uh, change, attitude deleted, you know, whatever in the process. But the answers to those questions help me to dive into the scene, still be true to my character, and that creative part of me uh, that would really love to be more, um, now let me, let's see, how do I say this? There are those who are married to their writing outlines, and there are those who are strictly seat-of-the-pants writers, and there are those who are in between. And I'm right in between. I need a little bit of organization, but I don't want things interfering with the creative aspect. And I have found that these questions do not take away from that wonderful adventure of exploring what's going on with my characters. So um, I can give you those questions, and then your readers, or your readers, your listeners can decide, okay, this might work for me, or maybe it won't, but I can just tell you what works for me. Well, I would. I'd like to know where, you know, on the writing spectrum, because I have heard people say they don't want to write a synopsis because it takes the fun out of the story. You know, it takes the surprise out. It ruins the creativity. But, you know, there's others that say they couldn't write their book without the synopsis because they want to know the ending before they begin. Oh, I would I would agree and disagree with both with both of those responses. Um, My you know, my publisher, they're going to pay me in advance um, to on a story and they have every right to know how I envision it. And so. You're right. I don't like writing a synopsis because it just seems so sterile and unemotional and things of that nature. However, it is necessary for my editors to look at that and tell me right off the bat, okay, I think this is going to work or I have a question or things of that nature. Now, on the other hand, that doesn't mean that in the writing process that I don't change things, and they know that, and um, so I, I don't mean to be confusing to anyone. Yes, um, we have to write them um, for you know for our publishers, for those who are traditionally published. We have to do them, and they're not always fun. The good part about them is that at least we have an outline or a general idea of where our story is going, what the characters' problems are, their strengths, their weaknesses, um, 
the plot obstacles, things of that nature. Now, you mentioned the ending just a moment ago, and I'm telling you that I don't ever know my ending for sure until I'm there. Um, it's just, I can give you a, you know, a little bit of a, a gray shadowy, well, this is where I believe, this is what I think will happen at the end, but until I get there, um, I don't know. And also, in the synopsis, we may have, uh, we writers may have some plot points that are uh, listed and hopefully in chronological order with the story, but that doesn't mean that they won't be moved around or that we can't be creative in how we get to that plot point. So um, I'm going to embrace both comments about synopsises because that's the good side and the not-so-good side with them. Uh, I've never felt they were confining. I've always been glad when they were done, uh, but that doesn't mean that I haven't changed uh, what was in them um, on that wild ride from page one to the end. Um but I think that's really important that you identify for our listeners that a synopsis isn't necessarily cast in stone because I think that's what especially new writers are I've heard over and over they've sold their first work they sold the synopsis they're you know three quarters of the way through and they need to change a few things around and I've always said that's okay because the publisher and you in the end want the best possible story not for you to stick to some arbitrary synopsis word for word. Absolutely. And, you know, if the writer is a little uh, hesitant um, about the, the changes that he or she feels uh, are necessary, then contact that editor and say, hey, remember this plot point? Well, I, I want to do a little tweaking and get their feedback. That way everybody is um, happy and we're not catching that editor uh, unaware when they receive that final manuscript. I, I just think that that's a courtesy uh, that we should think about also. Um, and this would be another entire whole segment of discussing. I really believe that your publishing team, and that includes the writer, that uh, we all are working together for the same outcome, the same best book ever, the same excitement, the same thrill. And um, so I can't really say that I take ownership of everything because I'm part of a, a dynamic team. But anyway... I just took off on a rabbit trail. No, I thought that was really great because, you know, we, we have still, you know, half an hour left in the show. And I want to hear about, you know, these four questions you ask. But, you know, when you mentioned synopsis, all I could think of is how many people have written in over the years saying, well, how, you know, how, you know, can I change my synopsis? Well, yes, you can just do it in a way that's graceful and respectful of your teammates is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that type of a relationship with, you know, with your um, publishing team is not only professional, but it invites, um, I think it invites a more solid relationship. It, uh, it gives us writers the, um, 
I don't want to say the label, but being uh, known as easy to work with or fun to work with, that kind of thing. None of us want to be known as drama queens and drama kings and uh, difficult to work with. We want to be approachable and amiable and um, professional all at the same time. It, it really is important. I think that it also is very conducive to getting more contracts. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, seven years ago, I had a great contract with Simon and Schuster and Atria Books, and I was writing with a partner and my partner, you know, I'm not going to use any names, but was demanding, was insulting, was shrill. And I remember, you know, we were working on this project together. We were put together by chance. And Diane, she would say to me, why, why do you get, why do they answer your emails? Why do you get through? Why does she call you back? And, you know, I, I didn't want to further damage our working relationship, but I wanted to say, because I'm nice to people, because I tell them what's going on, because I treat them with respect. You know, the way you treat people is half of the publishing contract. I'm convinced of it because there's a lot of good writers out there. There's a lot of good books. Why choose me over you? Well, you know what? All things being equal, I'm going to pick the person that I can work best with. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and I have met, uh, you know, a couple of the, the writers who can be very difficult, disrespectful, and all of the things that you had mentioned. And um, it it is not a, a relationship that the publisher wants to continue with. It it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. And I will say we had an interview scheduled, Diane, you and I, a couple of weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, the technology, I think Mercury smashed into Metrograde and the room and the moon, you name it, whatever it was, went wrong that day. And I felt so bad that, you know, we had to cancel and reschedule and you could not have been more gracious. You were oh. open and friendly. You know, there are things that happen like on a radio end or on a publishing end that are beyond control and how you handle when things go wrong or things don't go your way is really important. Uh, yes, we, yes, we, um, I look at my publishing team as friends. And so I want to treat them like I want to be treated. And if we have that mindset in every relationship that we uh, encounter, we're going to have more friends. And um, I believe our careers will speak for uh, that little extra engine additive that uh, we feel that's so important. Oh, I think we'll have more friends, we'll have more success, we'll have more fun, and the end product will be better. Now, we're going to go to commercial break, and we will we will answer those four <laughs> questions. I promise, guys, when we come back from the break, we're visiting today with Diane Mills. That's D-I-A-N-N Mills, M-I-L-L-S dot com. Check her out. Check her books out. Uh, Deadlock, Double Cross, Firewall. Uh, then she's got her Texas Legacy series. So you're really going to want to read these books. They are truly wonderful. I have a set of them. I enjoy them. I always like to bring on writers that I recommend. And when we come back from the break, we are going to find out what those four questions are and no more rabbit trails. Listen as your day unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Try 
and keep your head up to the sky. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on toginet.com. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Remember, listen as your day unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Try to keep your... Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and this is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we are visiting with with successful author Diane Mills, and we're talking about writing today. We're talking about how she constructs her books, and before we get on another tangent, I'm going to ask you, Diane, what are the four questions you ask yourself before you write a scene so that you're true to your character and true to your creative self? Okay, and they really are very simple. The first one is, what is the point of view character's problem or goal? In other words, why did that character wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you've got to write this scene, I've got this goal, I've got this problem, and here it is. And so you start that scene right off the bat with uh, what that goal or what that problem is. Question number two is, what does that character learn, that point of view character learn, while he or she is on the way to solving that problem or reaching that goal? What's new? Not not something that you're being redundant about, but new, exciting information. And the third question is, 
what uh, backstory is revealed. Now, uh, and let me explain just a little bit about what I mean with backstory. Backstory is a necessary part of every novel. It is it is what provides motivation and gives reasons for behaviors and actions. But in truth, uh, Donald Moss teaches that we should refrain from writing backstory till the first approximately 50 pages. And um, what that means is we are courting or we are dating that reader. Um, if um, Sandra, if you and I were to to meet and have coffee and um, get to know each other a little bit better, we wouldn't be unloading all our faults and all of let's hope not all of our faults <laughs> and uh, our problems and our weaknesses and our flaws. Those things we wouldn't do that until we were real secure in the relationship and trusted each other. And that's what we're doing with that reader. We're we're dating them. You know, come come like me. Let me open the door for you. Let me make sure I look good, smell good. And then after you know me and I know you're with me for all 400 pages or whatever, then, you know what, I guess you've got to find out about some of my flaws. And uh, so that's very, very important about not doing a big dump of backstory and not unloading with all the character flaws within that first approximately 50 pages. So that was question number three. Question number four is, how are the stakes raised? What happened in this scene that just raised the stakes for that point of view character? Either they didn't reach the goal, there wasn't a way to solve the problem, or maybe they did reach it, but something disastrous happened. And if if the um, if the writer will look at those four questions, it really does help keep the story focused. And if it does start to take off on another trail, another tangent, and the writer draws themselves in to say, hey, wait a minute, let me take a look at this. Is the, is the path that this story, this scene has started down something that needs to be there that I need to embrace and explore? Or am I really <laughs> getting off the storyline and I need to rein everything in? Now, I just want to clarify for our listeners um, who might not know what the term point of view character means. Oh, that's the head we're in. That's the character that who is experiencing everything. Um, it is the character who is um, using sensory perception and everything that he or she has uh, gone through, experienced their whole life to evaluate what is going on. The camera is rolling and it's rolling uh, through the point of view character's head. Got it. Got it. So, so, cause I think that's, that would be confusing for people. If, you know, you, you, if you're talking about the point of view character's problem or goal, it's the person's, you know, point of view that you're writing from. Right. And there are many times, um, 
a, a writer will will say, okay, so uh, how do I figure out whose head this should be in? Is there a formula? And um, I won't say that there's a formula, but I always ask myself, okay, in this scene, what point of view character has the most to lose? Because that's where the emotion is. So if, if I'm looking at this scene and I'm looking at a problem or a goal and I'm thinking, okay, um, of my two or three point of view characters, which one of them has the most to lose by living through this scene? And that's a big help, too. That is a big help. I mean, these are really, really important, um, you know, important things, especially for new writers. Did you come up with these or have you taken writing classes? Like, I know you've been writing for, you know, a a fair amount of time. Um, How do you know this? Um, Some of it was taught. I had an awesome line editor years ago who gave me lots of valuable information um, who has the most to lose? I don't remember where that came about. I'm a, um, a huge fan of, uh, Donald Moss. Uh, he's writing the breakout novel, writing the breakout novel workbook, uh, the fire in fiction, which teaches about emotion and also Stephen James, um, story Trump structure, uh, David Corbett and his awesome methods of teaching uh, characterization, Nancy Cress. Um, the Writer's Digest is filled with uh, wonderful teachers that really help the writer, have helped me form um, my viewpoint, the way I work, the way I write, the way I teach writing. And it's uh, a combination of uh, the masterminds of, uh, of writing fiction. Not every writing book is going to be the best that you've ever read, but there's always something you can draw out that you can use and move on. Um, I know with the authors I've just given you that they never disappoint me. I know I'm going to find something that is really, really good. Some years ago, I was watching, um, oh gosh, the name just slipped my, my mind. Uh, I know what you are thinking. There we go. That's the name of the book. I know what you were thinking. And it was written by Dr. Lillian Glass. And I had a Secret Service agent say that it was a requested reading, not requested, required reading. And it was on body language and interpreting body language. And I thought at the time, well, my goodness, if they have to know that book so that they know how to read people, wow, what could I do with that in writing fiction? And so that is... um, a book that I go back to time and time again. I know what you were thinking, Dr. Lillian Glass. Great, uh, great book. Uh, But there are just so many helps out there um, that if the writer is uh, committed, oh yeah, most of us are committed, but let's say determined to be be successful and to write... um, fabulous fiction, 
then we've got to be constantly uh, filling our minds with uh, new information, new techniques, things to examine to ensure that very thing happens. Well, and that's the one thing I was really hoping that you would you would talk about that because, you know, people will say, well, you went to school and you got a journalism degree, so you know how to write. And I look at them like, are you kidding me? There is so much to know about writing. And yes, you've got to sit down and write. I get that. But writing, writing well, writing excellently are very, very different things. And it's a continual lifelong learning process. And I know that I've read somewhere that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert, but it's funny because there's very few writers that will say they're an expert writer and they've written their whole lives. Yes. Yes. And honestly, um, it's the writing process. It's doing it that makes a writer, a writer, uh, a successful writer. Um, not necessarily how many letters they have after their name. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in, in that. You've got to do it. You've got to uh, pay your dues and understand that it is a continuing process, just like if we were uh, doctors and lawyers and whatever, we have to continually be educating ourselves. And that's the same thing with writers. And um, we simply do have to uh, continue to educate ourselves and then put it into practice. Right. Absolutely. Put it into practice. Continue, continue, continue with your writing education. And it's funny because you said the thing about the letters by the names. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from this. But usually when I see a book and the more letters they have after their name, the harder I know it's going to be to understand what they said. So (laughs) sometimes, you know, they have that long language of their own that, that we can't follow. And, you know, a good story needs to be told by a good storyteller. A good storyteller needs to be a good writer. The writing part is the skill set. We're visiting today with Diane Mills. Now she's got lots of books out. You're going to want to look her up. If you're thinking of writing your first novel, remember what Joel Fotino said about writing. You can't fix what isn't written down. So just start writing. And as Diane gave so many great, um, so many great uh, uh, authors to look up, Stephen James, David Corbett, Nancy Crafts, go to Writer's Digest, Lillian Glass, you know, these are grateful, great, helpful resources out there. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to have a successful writing career. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. I am beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. I am beautiful in every single way. Yes, is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. 
not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Dr. Sean holds a bachelor's degree in biblical counseling and master's and doctorate degrees in theology and is currently pursuing a doctorate in ministry with a Hebrew worldview focus. Through his counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. Join host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener, every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on this radio network. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. This is Sandra Beck, and this is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we're visiting with successful author Diane Mills, and she shared lots of helpful writing information with us. And as always, I think that what makes a great writer is an avid reader, and I encourage you to pick up her books and and read them and think about you know what she taught us today so far about her writing process that can help you in your writing process. Uh, we. We're going to talk this segment about what makes a successful writer successful. And it's not necessarily the dollars in the bank. It's not necessarily the number of books sold. Um, of course, those are benchmarks that we use. Um, but they're pretty defeating because usually only one can be the best in a category. So I like to define success differently. And I'm going to let Diane de- define success for her first. Success for me is when uh, I receive emails that say, you know what, I love this book. I have never written to an author before, and I want to tell you that it kept me up all night. And you know what, it only takes one of those for me to feel successful, because that is one person who found value in what I was passionate about. And sure, I'd like to say that, um, my uh, my inbox explodes with all of those people who just can't get enough of my books. Yeah, don't we wish? Uh, but truthfully, for me, it just takes one. And of course, uh, another uh, benchmark of success is when a publisher says, okay, you're working on the last book in your contract. We're ready for... Um, 
another submission. What do you see in your next series? That, to me, is success because it means that I am continuing uh, what I always wanted to do, and that is to write story. And that defines it for me. What do you think the best part of your writing career has been so far? You know, you talk about the emails, you talk about the contracts. When you look back and think of your life before your husband said, take the year off and get your book done and and get that going, um, how do you feel differently before and after? Uh, Like before your publishing career and then after your publishing career? Um. I was happy. I was um, a woman of faith, still am, but I felt like there was um, a hole that needed to be filled, uh, a something that was missing, something that um, that there was a part of me that wasn't fulfilled, and what was it? I, you know, I had a beautiful marriage, great kids, um, wonderful health. What was it missing? And it was the fact that I was not writing, that I was not taking um, a God-given talent and using it uh, like it should be. And once I got started, it was, um, oh, how do I put this? It was like a part of me just burst, uh, a good burst. And, oh, my goodness, I love this story idea, and I love that right, that story idea. Will I ever live long enough to write all these story ideas? <laughs> and, uh, but it was a, a hole that needed to be filled, and once I started writing, I felt, um, I, I felt that hole being filled up, uh, a purpose, a calling, uh, a passion, uh, a joy. Uh, it, it's just, um, it's a satisfaction that the word satisfaction doesn't really touch on. Maybe I need to know Greek or something like that to, to come up with the exact word. But that is exactly what, um, that is what I, I mean is um, uh, a fulfilled satisfaction of 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 doing that one thing that you're really passionate about and you want to do a fabulous job. See, and I think that's so important because there's people who talk, 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 talk about wanting to write. And it is, it's when you don't, or you haven't given yourself the chance, it is like a hole that, that just is there and isn't filled. And I think, you know, God does put in our hearts stories to be told and, and things to say. And, you know, if he put that desire in your heart, um, it's worth giving it an opportunity to grow because you can look at you, Diane, and see how you've, you've blossomed and flourished into this, you know, amazing writer. Um, can you tell us what your day is like? Like, you know, do you get up in the morning and write for five hours and then you're done? Do you, you know, what does it look like for you? Um, it's probably, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, first thing I do is I get up and I have a quiet time with God. So I am my marching orders and I feel like my day is set out. Um, I write, um, the beginning of the day, a couple of hours on the treadmill, 
And um, I know that uh, your readers or your listeners don't know how old I am, but trust me, I've been carrying my AARP card for a long time. And um, what I find is that constant movement on the treadmill um, gets my whole body going, the adrenaline going. I'm a bit hyperactive anyway. And, and for around two hours, I can get a lot of writing done. Um, I uh, get cleaned up. You trust me, I need it. And uh, I continue writing through the morning. Um, after lunch, uh, I write my blogs. I write a lot of blogs, and so I work on them every day so nothing's ever caught me by surprise. And I take a look at my word count, and if it is not at the 2,500 a day uh, point, which is what I do without draining myself of all my energy, uh, if it's not there yet, then I um, finish it up. Um, and I need to back up a little bit. I do all my social media at the beginning of the day, after my quiet time before breakfast. Um, I use Buffer. Uh, some people use Hootsuite. And for those who have no idea what I'm talking about is that I am very active on social media and it is a critical part of a writer's career, but it should be done within 30 minutes, um, you should have all your social media done within 30 minutes. And if you're not, then um, then there is a problem with some time and organization management because I'm a writer. The majority of your listeners are writers. And uh, this is where we need to be uh, devoting our time. So um, I take frequent breaks because I'm hyperactive and I understand that there are times that are, we need to blink and um, move around a little bit, get a bottle of water, cup of coffee. Um, I cook dinner and uh, two reasons for that. Number one, I enjoy cooking. Number two, it allows me to process what I've written. And after dinner, uh, husband loves to watch, um, he you know, has TV shows that he records, and he likes me to be with him, so I continue to work in the same room with him so that I'm spending time with him and still getting a little more work done. Now, I probably told you a whole lot more than you would ever want to hear, but that is pretty much my um, my work day. Um, I'm very uh, disciplined, I will say that. I'm also hyperactive. Um, I also have the best grandkids in the world and uh, a wonderful husband. So I'll be quiet now and let you ask me what you wanted to ask. Well, I, I, I really like um, what you said because, and the reason I asked the question of like, you know, what does it look like? What does your writing career look like? Um, because in my company, Diane, I get people coming to me who want to write a book and, and I tell them, you know, okay, this is, you know, you're going to dedicate you like this many hours a day and this is, you know, what you're going to do. And if you really don't love writing, the sound of being a writer sounds good. But when I, 
ask people to say what their day is like. Or, you know, when I was in my writing days, I would get up, I'd work out, then I would write for a few hours, then I would have lunch, and then I would do a couple things for my other job, and then I would write some more, and then I would have dinner, and then I'd edit what I wrote. And they're like, you spent like eight hours a day at a computer and, you know, editing your manuscript. And I'm like, yeah, and sometimes on nights and weekends. But when you love it, it doesn't feel like work. Sometimes it feels like work, but most of the time you just love it. Absolutely. I love it. I love written communication. I love words. I love story. I love making the best better. Um, and it's not, and it's not work when you're passionate about it. Not work That's at all. It. It's not working when you follow the path that was set down for you or you answer the calling in your heart, you know, or whatever the desire that was placed in your heart, you know, it's not your desire. If you go, oh, I don't want to do all that or that doesn't sound right. And, you know, that's why I asked for you to share about your day, because I think it's important that writers spend the most of their day writing. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, thank you, Diane Mills, uh, for your time today. I encourage everyone everybody listening to go to dianemills.com that's d-i-a-n-n-m-i-l-l-s two l's i can't even know if i say two or three but dianemills.com um i really enjoyed our time together i hope that you write many many more books and i can't wait for your new series to come out oh thank you so much i loved every minute of it thank you for allowing me to just talk about my passion Oh, and inspire others. Okay, so this also kicks off our summer read series. We are going to have over the next five weeks, three authors a show, and they are going to share with us the different things that they do in their writing careers. They're going to talk about their books. We're going to talk about great summer reads. You're not going to want to miss this. And like I said, what makes a great writer is an avid reader. So get out, buy those books, write your own, contribute to the literary growing uh uh, um, of America and you will not be sad oh, oops thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio starring Sandra Beck Motherhood Talk